kg, pin it. Is everybody sitting? Oh, they're all sitting down, okay. <laughs> what do you call a cheese that isn't yours? Nacho cheese. Nacho <laughs> cheese. God, he must have read it. What do you call a cow with no legs? Steak. Ground beef. <laughs> Did you hear about the claustrophobic astronaut? He just needed a little space. <laughs> okay, so um, today we're going to look at Numbers uh, chapter 13. We're con continuing the goodness of God. And um, this one is interesting to me because it shows the danger of perception. That if it's not aligned with the Lord's, it can really get you into trouble and it can be costly. And so in uh, uh, verse 1 of Numbers 13, we're going to read down to verse 3. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So what's fascinating right off the bat is we know these spies were leaders. They weren't, you know, just someone they randomly picked. These were people leading uh, the nation, the different tribes. And uh, so they go out, they spy the land, they come back, and in verse 17, it says, uh, he's giving them instructions, I guess. He says, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land, the land they dwell in is uh, good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab or Rehob near the entrance of Hamath. And they went through the south and came to Hebron and a bunch of other cities. The descendants of Anak were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. So that's important uh, for the author to put that in there. Uh, then they came to the valley of Eskel, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eskel because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there, and they returned from spying out the land for 40 days. Okay, so real quick, <clears throat> the word spy means to explore, to seek out, and to spy out. So he was taking care of a couple things here in this passage. He wanted them to get a feel of the land because they're about to invade it. So he wanted them to see, okay, these are the strongholds, these are the areas that you need to be aware of, but he was also giving them aspiration. He was showing them what was going to be theirs. Because in his mind, it's already settled. So he was provoking vision. They were going to have houses that were already built, 
they had vineyards that were already plant and ripe, planted and ripe, and you know the land of milk and honey. So he wanted to create that picture for them because aspiration is one of the most powerful emotions you can experience. And y'all have heard me, you know, say this repeatedly that you know in marketing you can go with a pain point, you can tell people the cost of not doing business with you or not purchasing your product or service, but the most powerful uh, marketing tool is aspiration. Showing people who and what they can be and have is uh, something that will actually spur them to action, but the perception has to be correct or they will not see the picture that you're trying to give them. Okay, It's the same thing with the Lord. All through the Bible, He tells us who we are. But if your perception is incorrect, you don't even see it. You're only going to see the past. And the word aspire, now this is in the dictionary, not in the uh, Hebrew, means to long, aim, or seek ambitiously, be eagerly desirous, especially for something great or of high value. In Latin, it means to breathe upon. thought that was interesting. And it also means to pant after so it's hard to really aspire after something that you don't know exists. You know, it's like a picture's worth a thousand words. The Lord's been telling them what the, He's taking them to, but they didn't yet have a picture of it until they went in and saw it. First you aspire, <laughs> then you perspire. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the Lord sent the spies into number one, show them that what He had promised was real, and two, to evoke aspiration. He was breathing upon them desire, which literally means of the Father. And that's why I say that desire is the source of all motivation. Desire is the source of all discipline. You have to create desire on the inside through aspiration or you will never accomplish those things that you want to accomplish. Even when I'm counseling clients, I tell them, because they're like, well, I should do this, or I need to do that, or I wish I had more discipline, or I wish I had more motivation. I tell them all of that's a fallacy, all of it. You have to start desire, with desire, and the way you evoke that is through vision. Okay, so you have to see it, and you have to combine that with faith. So they were at the finish line. The journey, like the exodus was traumatic. It was not fun. You know, even though they lived in the land of Goshen, they were having to make more bricks. There was uncertainty. There was persecution. There was increased pressure and heat. And so the Lord, you know, He carried them through that. He protected them. But they, their soul was still traumatized by the birthing of a nation. All right? So then they go through the wilderness and they get to their destination. On the way, they fought 38 battles. Okay, so they were getting toughened. See, people think, oh yeah, you know, God shows them a promise, woohoo, you know, and then everything that possibly could go wrong occurs, and everything that you could think of that is coming against you happens when you're overwhelmed with every kind of difficulty. <coughs> and, and so people think, well, maybe I didn't hear right, or maybe uh, the prophetic word was wrong, or whatever it is. No, 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 that's... You're exactly where you're supposed to be because those difficulties are meant to prepare you for what you're about to enter. Lean, strong, 
and ready to possess the promise. It's going to be the same thing at the end of the age. That's why we have to focus and ask God for vision of what is to come. Study the Word because as there's never going to be from this point on, guys, anything that's going to have a semblance of normality. Every single generation is going to have to preserve this country and every single country is going to have to resist the agenda of the global elitists until the Antichrist shows up. Okay, So we're never not going to need vision and the vision is Jesus Christ and His rule. So whenever you start feeling that pressure of things going wrong, that's where you find those songs that evoke aspiration. That's where you find the scriptures that evoke aspiration. And that's where you get around people who say, this is who you are. You're not that. You're this, right? So that's what he was trying to do. They're at the finish line. They've been in slavery for 400 plus years. They're about to own their own land, their own homes. All that God promised was there. This was it. Now, he sends out leaders because leaders are supposed to be brave. Leaders are supposed to cast vision. And the word leader literally means a prince, okay? So it's a uh, word that means to lift and to carry. So that gives us an idea that any true leader is going to lift you and they're going to carry you at times. And what that means is, again, they're going to be like aspiration desire this is who you are they're going to cast vision for you so that you can fulfill your call now there are hirelings that appear to be leaders but typically with those you have control they don't believe in you the only thing they believe about you is that you're going to mess up okay that's a typical pastoral setting that we see in churches right and so that or government Yes. Deplorables. Are yeah. you a deplorable? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Or they will also uh, not help you fulfill the reason you were born because you know, right, that you're supposed to be there to fulfill the vision of the house. Okay, so once you care about my vision for the house, then I will be concerned with yours. That's a bunch of crap. Now, Jesus came to fulfill the assignment Father gave him, which included equipping and training 12 men who were going to carry on his work and then multiply it after he was gone. So yes, you can be concerned with the vision God gives you, but if you're a true leader, you will build up and you will carry others on the momentum of your faith in them to do what they were born to do. Okay, so that's why we have to be really focused on that and not become so obsessed with our own deal if we're leaders. So a leader is one who will inspire courage, loyalty, and a we-can-do-this attitude. So he told the leaders, obviously, hey guys, you're about to go into enemy territory, so be of good courage. You know, you're going you're gonna to have to have some courage here because you're going to see things, right, that will disturb you. So that means to be strong, courageous, and overpower. Overpower what? Not the enemies on the outside, the ones on the inside. You have to learn, if you're going to be a leader, to overpower the enemies that are internal because it's always intangible first. So like for example, you know, I told you guys Friday, you know, that, you know, I think Roberta might have asked, you know, how did you feel or, you know, how was it? Were you sad or so I don't remember what you asked Friday. And I was like a low grade anger. Mm -hmm. 
is what I felt. So I was like, but why? You know, like not, not toward any people. It wasn't that. And I'm like, what is that? Because I need to overpower that emotion. And so when I got up that next morning, the Lord said, you hate wasting time. And I was like, oh, that, yes. Now, I wouldn't say all of it was a waste, but when you go through things and you're looking at stuff, it's like, man, have I wasted time? I mean, this feels like I've wasted time. And uh, so anyway, then Monica, my friend called, she's in town and didn't want me to find out that she's in town and she didn't <laughs> say hello. So she called and she said, what's going on? I said, oh, you wouldn't believe what's going on. So I went down Melissa, Dad, and, you know, blah, blah. And uh, so I told her about that, and she said, oh, she said, this helps me, so maybe this will help you. I'll pass it on. She said, whenever you feel that agitation on the inside, so whatever it is, whether it's anger or anxiety or you feel like you've done something that maybe you've wasted time or wasted money or whatever, whatever your core values are, which I hate, wasting time and wasting money, she said, make a list of all that God has done. You know, and all the things you've learned, all the things that he's done, that way you can carry those things into the next season that you can leave all that behind. Then she said, and you know, this is just a season. You know how you have like fall and winter? And I'm like, that's exactly what Kathy talked about. And so I was laughing and then I said, guess what? So I told her about that word. But the internal struggle is what you have to overcome. And as a leader, that's extremely important because we all have stuff we're going through. We all have stuff that will bother us or anger us or make us sad. But as a leader, your job is that you can be transparent, but is to definitely overcome and overpower those things so it doesn't stop you in your tracks and then hurt other people. So Moses told him that because anytime God calls you to a new thing and to step in a new land, the largest battle you'll face is inside you. And it can be fear, doubt, laziness, complacency, anger, whatever it is. You must win the battle over self before you can win the battle of life. Always. And that's the purpose of challenges. That's why we go through them. Now, I'm not talking about sickness, and I'm not talking about car wrecks or any of that stuff. Nothing that Jesus died for am I referring to. Okay? But I am referring to times of challenge where the enemy will go against the word of God in your life to try to get you to stop. And that's when you go deeper. Okay? So the Israelites had not had any experience in battle for 400 plus years until they started going toward uh, the promised land. Moses knew that courage was going to be needed because the eye gate is one of the most powerful for either supporting courage or robbing courage. That's why it's crucial that you're very aware of what you're seeing. Now, I'm not talking about the external eye gate, although that can be, you know, I'm talking about what you see in your imagination. Because remember, if we go over to Ephesians chapter 1, and this isn't in your notes, but in Ephesians chapter 1, your eye can either help you or hurt you. In verse 18, it says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So the eyes of your understanding is the picture in your imagination, literally in the Greek. So whatever you behold in your imagination is what you become. So you have to watch that eye gate. And I'm not getting into New Age where they have that third eye stuff. I remember one time <laughs> I went to get a massage before Chrissy Masterson had her license. And the lady didn't seem like she was one of those weird people, but... 
um, she, you know, does a massage. She had Young Living oils, you know, and I had experienced some detoxing before, so she put like a little bit of peppermint and lemon, you know, to help with nausea. And then she dabs me here. <laughs> I'm like, what's that? And she goes, well, you know, they say that's where your third eye is. I said, hey, I got four. I don't need no third one. Don't ever do that again. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, I'm wiping it off. <laughs> I get in the car, break off witchcraft, break off everything. But there is a truth that your imagination is here, and it goes up into your thinking. Your cognitive ability to see comes from the soul. So that's why when the person that died, that Lazarus would eat the crumbs, and he gets into, you know, Hades. Both of them are actually in Hades, but one is in Abraham's bosom, one is not. He was still able to think and to reason because the mind is not necessarily the brain, okay? Mm-hmm but it will impact the brain. Now, sure enough, they go in there, they find good fruit, good land, forests. They saw the, uh, but they also saw the descendants of Anak. Who on earth are the people of Anak? They're the Anakim, they're a race of giants that descended from Anak, the son of Arba, the Canaanite, who founded the city of Kiriath Arba, Arba or Hebron. Okay, so that's why he pointed that out. The giants built Hebron. Now, that's tied to the Nephilim. And so it's a really, it's important to understand all that, which we've talked about in the past. But they built that, that city, and they lived primarily in southern Palestine. Now, the, uh, oh, I just said their name. How do you say it? Anakim? They were physically huge. They terrorized the Hebrews. And they're described as uh, descendants of the Nephilim, the mythological giants who were the offspring of the union of angels and human uh, women. Now, this is uh, all the people in the Bible. Now, we know that the giants were destroyed in the flood, so people are like, well, how could they be back? Well, let me show you here in Genesis chapter 4. This isn't in your notes either. Um, Verse 3. So this is after Cain and Abel. They're grown up. And it says, in the process of time, oh, wait a minute. Oh, oh, oh. No, I'm sorry. Go to uh, chapter 6. Verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days, that word giants is Nephilim, and also afterward. So it happened again. Okay? So uh, a, a Races of giants kept being repeated. And, and again, if you look at the mission of the Israelites was to kill giants. So before you think that God is into genocide, if you look at all the people groups that he destroyed, that he said destroyed them, even their animals, they were giants. Okay? And then he said, don't go after, I think, Edom, because Edom was also killing giants. So he's like, leave them alone right now. Now later they they betrayed their own brothers because the Edomites were descendants of Esau. And so the Lord's like, there's an ancient hatred there, therefore I'm going to wipe you out completely. But when they went into the promised land, their purpose was to destroy giants. Guess what? Our purpose is to destroy giants. Now we know that Nephilim, when they died, they became demons. And so when you're fighting demonic spirits, you're fighting Nephilim spirits. But also, as we've learned in the past, 
when the Lord took the three, or well, He took His disciples to Caesarea Philippi during that major holiday in October where even debauched Romans were embarrassed by what all was going on, He took them to the gates of hell. He took them to the very location that these uh, watcher angels decided to sleep with women and they made this whole covenant. And so when the Lord went there and Peter said, you are the Christ, it was on. You can watch from that point on the intensity of the warfare against the Lord. Okay, because he was, he's like, I'm after you guys. Y'all are the ones that opened the gates to intense evil that would not have been opened up except for this incident here in Genesis chapter 6. Okay, so... That's why I wanted to point that out because the assignment has not changed. It's just now on a spiritual level versus an actual physical, and maybe physical later, I don't know. Now, in Deuteronomy 9, 1 through 3, I want to read this. It says, Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven so these were huge cities because they were for giants a people great and tall the descendants of the Anakim whom you know and of whom you heard it said who can stand before the descendants of Anak therefore understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes before you as a consuming fire he will destroy them and bring them down before you. So you will drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord has said to you. If God gives you an assignment, the only way it's going to fail is you. Okay? So he's saying, I've anointed you and I've given you power to go after giants that people said, who can destroy them? The Lord's like, I will through you. Okay, so that's important because, again, the internal battle can skew how you view that. So we're assigned to do the impossible. But interestingly, the word giant here is not Nephilim, it's Raphim. So it's an old race of giants. The Anchor Yell Dictionary defines them as descriptions of the dead in the underworld, by the way. Actually, in the way it sounds like, is that they're, they... Some sources said that they actually don't experience death. They just go down into the underworld still alive. That's kind of interesting. I'm not sure about that, but I did find that definition. But it's also a reference to a group or nation of giants or warriors. The uh, uh, Bible dictionary also says Og was the last of the Rephim, possibly in regards to the ethnicity aspect because we later see giants in David's time. The author also wants us to know that these guys built Hebron before Zoan was built in Egypt, and that was built in the first millennium B.C. Mm. God is very patient. He's watched these guys multiply. He's watched them, you know, build cities. What was happening? Their globalist agenda was threatening all of humankind. Hybrids out of everybody. Yes. If the giants weren't destroyed, there would have been no human race. That's right. So we have the same assignment. Okay.
okay? So that's why it's so important to understand these things because it may seem like a rabbit trail, but it's actually not. Uh, we gotta know um, what our assignments are and to be very clear and have precision and power like Kathy was saying Friday. So obviously they're intimidating the Israelites. Like when I read <laughs> how jacked up things are because of Davos and the World Economic Forum and everything that's going on, I'm like, where do you even start? Mm -hmm. What This is overwhelming. And uh, so anyway, it just, but we, this is our assignment. So in fact, the terror of the Anakim caused them to rebel against God, re revealing fear will kill aspiration just like that. You cannot fear what is coming or you will not have correct vision. The secret is realizing that the giants you face are what prepare you for the very thing in person you aspire to be. And I thought it was interesting too on that um, where it says that uh, today the Lord your God is he who goes before you. And we know in battles, the generals don't go first. They go, they're behind. Mm -hmm. They send the peons ahead and then they are watching and making adjustments, etc. But I think it's very interesting that God goes before, them. before and then. And some didn't though, because like Washington, he was at the yeah. front lines, uh, some of the Civil War but that's pretty much generals. the general. Yeah, they know. surveil and yeah. or survey and they're, you know, checking out things and yeah. positioning troops because they have to have a bird's eye view. Right. Which the Lord has like the biggest bird, right. bird's eye view. But I think that's, ever. That's, a difference in, that's a difference of being the Lord's army is he's going to go ahead. Yep. He's not going to be the general behind well, us. Well, like G uh, Jesus. <laughs> like Gigi just said, and then Judah went next because they were praise and worship, releasing a sound that terrifies the enemy. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so the Israelites spied for 40 days, which speaks of testing. Are you going to believe what you see, hear, and think, or are you going to believe God? And know this. The very thing that is sparking or trying to spark fear in you can seem old and immovable, meaning it's been around for so long that it can almost seem impossible to overcome or change. Okay? Now, in Luke 4, 1 through 2, as far as like the 40 days, we see that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan, which they're about to cross the Jordan to go in, okay? So Jesus returned from the Jordan when he was baptized. And then the Spirit led him into the wilderness. He was uh, tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing. And then afterward, he, uh, when they had ended, he was hungry. That's my kind of fast. I'm believing for that. Okay, get this. In order to be tempted, Jesus had to consider each temptation. I had not considered that. Yeah, he couldn't just instantly... Dismiss it. He had to consider it, and then he responded with the word. Now, I want to tell you guys this is important because the language that is out today in our world hides evil, insidious agenda behind very nice-sounding mm -hmm. ideas. Let's end world hunger. Mm -hmm. 
Well, the way they want to end world hunger is so that no one owns any property, personal property or land, and they control the food. Okay? Um, and so, population. And yeah. population. So there's, you, you've got to, okay, let me consider this. And, and they're very good at putting all this in flowery, abstract ideas. And you're like, well, that sounds good. And then you're, you dig in, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't sound good. Um, and by the way, I don't, Germany, I've pondered this for a long time, and no uh, offense to people that are German, but these people need to get their crap together because ideas keep coming out of Germany that cause world wars. They, world War One, World War Two. you have Klaus Schwab, who is the one that founded uh, the World Economic Forum in 1971, you've got think tanks in our country that are German-based that right. are Marxist. And I'm like, what is your problem, Germany? You know what? You got borders, right? You got borders. You keep your stuff in your border. If you guys want to be socialists, that's fine. Here in America, <laughs> the smelly Walmart people with weapons, we don't want any of your Marxist ideas, right? So that's the situation that we've got this country that keeps sparking worldwide things that are not good for our country. And we're their enemy because we're a superpower. So I don't know what their problem is, but maybe they need to figure it out. I honestly think they are so analytical and logical and by the rules that they've almost made information their god. Oh, it's absolutely their god. So if you have a... if you have some kind of information that not everyone has, then you are powerful. And they have been, the Marxist thing has been for a long time, and that's why they fell in the World War One and World War Two, and they keep repeating their mistakes. But we need to pray on this Germany thing, because the, the Lord just keeps highlighting, I'm like, what is coming out of you guys? Why is that such a root? And hopefully people that live there that are spirit-filled Christians can begin to address and shift things because it's strange. It's really strange. Okay. So he had to consider each temptation. He examined the temptation in light of the word. And then he concluded, that's not truth, nor is that God's will. Isn't that interesting? So whether it's uh, elitists that think they know everything, or it's pastors that think they know everything, or it's you know whatever it is, whoever is around you and they think they know everything, if they're telling you stuff and you're like, hmm, I need to consider that. I need to put that in light of the word. Do it. Because there's a, like, people that believe God is in control. Let's examine that in light of the word. You know, he's in charge, not control. Or, well, you know, God gave me cancer so I could learn humility. Really? Well, let's consider that in light of the word. So we don't need to be receptacles just receiving whatever ideas shoved down our throats we need to examine even if it sounds like sound teaching you need to examine well and i think this abortion is a perfect example um i think i think i think and my response was i don't care what you think yeah i don't care what i think right I care what god thinks says. and what god says and what he says is x y and Z. yes yeah and like ken's uh you know situation as far as the institutional christianity right so we've got to beware that these progressive ideas are going to cause us problems. Okay, now this was the, um, 
an example of Jesus believing what God said over what the enemy said. Now, guys, he lived as a man. So he had to study the word. He had to know the word so that when the enemy came with temptation, something that sounded reasonable, he was able to say, no, that's not God. Because just so you know, guys, the enemy didn't show up in his little, you know, uh, red suit with his horns and his pitchfork. <laughs> he tempted the Lord in his thinking. So you got to know that. They and were he, thoughts. And he... Yeah, well, I mean, really, and that's the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve did. They should have considered well, it in light of what God said. Right. You got to do the same. If your soul is telling you something, you need to be like, wait a minute, is this God's word? Mm -hmm. Is this what He's told me, whether prophetically or in the Scriptures? No. So I'm not going to entertain that thought, mm -hmm. right? So I want I want to bring it back down to us as individuals. Uh, and the ability to do that has been given to us because we have the same spirit that was in Jesus Christ. Okay, now back to this whole spy thing. So in verse 26, it says, Now they departed, and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. They're very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land to the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Okay, so they're like, yes, absolutely. God did not lie to us. However, the people are strong. The word strong means strong, powerful, and insolent. When referring to a person's attitude of anger or wrath, it means insolent, excessive, and fierce. Now, the Amalekites were actually relatives of the Hebrews. I didn't know that. And they were longtime enemies as well as the other ites. But here's the deal. They saw insolence. They didn't just see very tall, you know, giants. They didn't just see people that were strong physically. There was an anti-God insolent attitude in these nations. They saw them coming. They saw the Israelites coming, okay? So that's what we're encountering as well. Now... In Genesis 15, so this was the original word that was given to Abraham, which we're seeing come to pass in these passages, okay? So in 15, 12 through 16, it says, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. So that's a fear of the Lord. Then he said to Abram, No, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge afterward they will come out with great possessions so they captured the wealth so the end result of any warfare against you is to capture the wealth okay now as for you you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried at a good old age but in the fourth generation they, will sh they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. 
Okay, so God chose the Israelites, this generation, to bring his verdict of judgment that God told Abram to pass. Okay, that was their assignment. But they balked at it because of how they saw themselves. There is no honor or humor in dismissing yourself and your role in God's plan. Okay, there's, there's no good in that. If God says it, that seals it. That's all there is to it, right? Now, if you get out of alignment, let them knock you back in place or let them guide you back into place. But if God says you're going to do something, there ain't nothing in that to laugh at. <laughs> because that right there is showing you that and Him that you don't believe Him, right? So we have to make sure when He says it, yes, sir. I don't see how it's going to happen, but you do. So I ask you to give me the vision and to correct anything of how I see myself that would prevent me from seeing very plain. Okay? And so God saw them as warriors, fully equipped to carry out His will and the assignment given to them. All right, verse 30. So obviously this caused an uproar. They delivered the good news. No one heard it once they got the bad news. Okay? So then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go against the people. They're stronger than us. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. <coughs> and so in their sight. But did y'all catch that? Mm -hmm. In our own sight. Now, they might have been like grasshoppers in the eyes of the giants. You know, I'm sure they were. But here we see that wasn't what bothered really God. What bothered God is they didn't believe what he said they were. And because of that, they were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And so they forfeited their inheritance as well as their assignment. They had a... Don't... Well, I know it is, but I like the they went in. Caleb and Joshua saw it as an opportunity. Absolutely. And the other ten saw it, saw it as a, a hurdle. They an saw obstacle. it as an absolute death warrant. Yes. For them, they were going to die. Here's the thing. The enemy and also, I know I keep going back to global leaders. I can't help it. It's my call. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm always going to be thinking this way. Um, but uh, the thing is, is that they see us as grasshoppers too. Mm -hmm. Um, we cannot see ourselves that way. And we have to make sure that our perception of them and of ourselves is correct. Uh, but the elitists will use the fear of death. Always. You better stay in your home. Because if you get COVID, it's a death warrant. You better put your mask on. Don't, uh, don't keep your church open. Uh-uh. You'll spread it. For the good of the people, guys. For the good of the people, shut down your church. Hmm. All right. So the word sight 
is in a figurative sense the eye was seen as the avenue of temptation, the scope of personal judgment and opinion, and the source of self-assessment. Isn't that interesting? Who would have thunk it that the reason the Israelites did not go in is they lacked emotional intelligence? <laughs> okay. Now, verse 14, or chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation and said to them, well, if we had only died in Egypt, or if we'd only died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us down to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return uh, to Egypt? So they said to one another, hey, let's get a leader and let's return to Egypt. Okay, the word complain means to lodge and to tarry. Their words put them permanently in the wilderness. The, Lord, the Lord's like, oh, you want to remain and die in the wilderness? Okay. Because returning to Egypt ain't an option. But I'm going to let you go ahead and get what you just said. So when we complain, we actually build a wall around ourselves where we do not reach our destiny. Isn't that interesting? So, uh, it also means to murmur, to grumble, and to howl. Complain, you will remain. So what you want to leave will actually become more attractive to you than the good place that God wants you to possess if you're not careful. So again, their perception is, oh, we would have been better to just stay there, even stay in this wilderness. We do not want to go in there. It is certain death. Okay, but here's the thing. The source of your perception of yourself is your perception of Father. 100%. Did you notice they said, why has the Lord brought us to this land to die? Okay? Why has the Lord given me cancer? Why has the Lord taken my child? Why has the Lord... All that BS that people believe that God does? No wonder our nation is in the condition it's in. No wonder our children do not know God. No wonder people can't even figure out if they're male or female. No wonder we're so jacked up. Because there is an identity crisis in the church because the church does not know Father. Now there are people that do. And their voice is going to get louder and louder. But this is why we are where we're at, okay? So it's, it's a bad thing to be in. Now, complaining is also a sign of unbelief because if you truly believe God, you don't complain about your circumstances or what he wants to do. Okay, now verse 5. So Moses and Aaron, they fell on their faces before all the assembly, which is a Hebrew word, uh, um, ecclesia of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of whoever, who were among those who had spied out their land, they tore their clothes in grief. Because they were like, whoa, guys, whoa, 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 stop. You know, like they're trying to get control of this situation. They said, the land we passed through to spy is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear 
the people of the land. They are our bread. Get this, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That seals it up right there. If we want to know our assignment for this country, it's right here. God is with us. There's more of us than there is of them. Their protection is removed in Jesus' name. Okay? So that's what's happening. And they're like, wait a minute. If He delights in us, it's a no-brainer. We got this. So Joshua and Caleb saw the same things that they did. But their perspective was an exceedingly good land. Exceedingly means very, greatly, great, abundance, might, and power. The dictionary says it means exceptional and extraordinary. Good is well-pleasing, fruitful, morally correct, proper, convenient, useful, appealing, profitable, and abundant. God was inviting them to live in an exceptional and extraordinary life. Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit, meaning they saw things how God saw them. They believed Him. They were true leaders. And they knew God's favor was with them, so they would easily be able to take this. I think this message right here is said that I even want to listen to. I don't even like to listen to my voice. Because we're facing a similar thing, guys. And it, it's just to know if God delights in us. You know what I mean? And uh, also, did you notice that they equated their unbelief with rebellion? Mm -hmm. Okay? Now, the word fear means to respect or reverence. What they feared, they worshipped, and they disobeyed God. They feared loss of life. Therefore, they, they put their life, their security, and their, their safety above God's will. So they became their own God. They decreed they would rather die in the wilderness. So the God of the universe said, so be it. Amen. We do not want God putting an amen at the end of our complaint. Okay, so for Joshua, it was impossible for them to lose. God was with them. Their protection was removed. Those giants were their food. Okay, well, how did they respond? Maybe that sermon, that preach would get a good amen, and they would straighten up. The same way they did, they respond to truth throughout the whole right. New Old Testament. Right. So, all the congregation said to stone them with stones. <laughs> Let's kill them. So the glory of the Lord, now at this point, it, he, he has to stop this. So it appeared in the tabernacle of meeting for all the children of Israel. Now remember, they're used to this cloud. So the cloud, it comes down, it shows up, and, uh, and the Lord spoke to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. Oof, he is mad. So Moses said to the Lord, Well, then the Egyptians are going to hear it, for by your might you brought these people out from among them, and they're going to tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They've heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face. Your cloud stands above them. You go before them in the pillar by day and the pillar of fire uh, by night. So basically he's like, 
Okay, if you do that, then everybody's going to hear it, and basically your reputation is going to be ruined. But did you notice, it's kind of like, you know, when parents, when they're kids, your child did this. <laughs> you know, it's like, we don't even want to have any association. You need to deal with your kid, right? So that's kind of what's happening. He is mad because he took their lack of belief in what he said as a rejection. It is no different. It is no different. The only difference is we have the grace of Jesus Christ. But if, he, again, like Mike used to say, if he says it's Easter, paint those eggs. If, if Jesus says this is what you're going to do, okay. You know, I mean, I, we can't make it any plan. So Moses interceded for them. And that's a role that we can play in our country as well. So verse 26. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, How long will I bear up with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number, from twenty years old and above, except for Caleb and Joshua. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in, but your little ones whom you said would be victims, I will bring them in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity. Did you notice that? To him, they were being adulterous. Why? Because you worship what you fear. Okay? until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land 40 days for each day you will bear your guilt one year namely 40 years and you shall know my rejection for i the lord have spoken this i will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness they shall be consumed and there they will die now the ones that brought the bad report uh, they died by the plague right off the bat okay so the Lord, let's pay attention to how he views their unbelief. The word despise, when he says you have despised me, means to reject, to abhor, to refuse, and to treat as loathsome. And the word infidelity means fornication. And in a physical sense, it means, out, or a figurative sense, it can describe outright rebellion. So the idea of infidelity through, though, reveals that God views unbelief as being unfaithful okay because again unbelief is sourced in a lie and if you believe your unbelief it will make you unfaithful to him um let's see also gathered together means they opposed him as a people therefore he would oppose them so you have to believe god is good all of the time you have to believe that he only has good things in store for you. The challenges you face are mostly internal. So don't allow the giants that you face to blind you to the invitation of the goodness of God. God wants to deal with all the perceptions, the mindsets, and the false narratives that you have about yourself so that you can live an extraordinary and exceptional life, the land of promise, living in the reality of the promises of God. Don't balk at his invitation. Beware of allowing fear to overwhelm you. Don't complain or you'll remain. Believe him. You will take your land. You will take your giants. 
And not only that, whatever you take will benefit all those around you and outward. Okay? So, I thought that was just a darn good word. GG. Mm, with your New York accent. No, just <laughs> <laughs> this week, um, because you get to thinking it's so, you know, this globalism and stuff is so fast. Yeah. And he said, but Rome was even further spread. It was. And that was in Jesus' day. And, you know, there's a quote, Rome fell in that. Well, it didn't actually, actually completely fall yeah. in that. But they, I think what that means is they could almost mark when it started to fall. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, and you know, so it was even more widespread in those days than it is now. Yeah. And, you know, with slavery and, you know, the whole nine yards, it was very deeply um, rooted, even um, generationally, more than what we have now. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's like, you know, we well, can do that in that day. What's what's him being able to overthrow? And if you yeah, and if you study the Roman Empire, it was it was gradual, then suddenly, and that's yes. usually how it works. But the slavery, so they had a a workforce that uh, they didn't have to pay, and so it made the citizens lazy. Mm -hmm. So they had too much idleness of time. If you look at what brought Sodom and Gomorrah down, it wasn't just the homosexuality. It was idleness of time, uh, um, too much stuff, basically. And so that was what happened with Rome. The second thing was debauchery. Mm -hmm. So because they had all that idleness of time, they're just, you know, all this sexual it's sin boring. is just all yeah. over the place. Like, even to this day in Pompeii, you know, because it's preserved, if you go in there, you'll see penises above a restaurant because that represented the god they worshipped. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was very debauched. Then the final straw was an overflow of illegal immigration, particularly from Germany, because of famine due to drought. And that was the tink, what dropped, you know, all of a sudden everything fell. And then, of course, I think they were invaded. When, at least when they first started, they were bringing in these people, the best of the best, wherever, mm -hmm. the young men, mm -hmm. just like. Um, uh, Daniel yeah. was carried off in order to indoctrinate. Yep. You know, uh, this is the Roman way of life, and um, you know, see how good we are, and we're powerful, and we're. Yeah. And then you send them back, and they say, "Hey, you know, we don't stand a chance." And, right. And it was, you know, uh, generational. Yeah. About how you view. Uh, wrong. Mm -hmm. And the, the hubris is to think that a nation can never fall. Mm -hmm. Rome didn't think it could ever fall. And some people think America can't too. Right. And it can. So, um, but I, you can see the pattern of all nations right. that have fallen. It's the same exact thing. So we need to be aware of that. So God just kind of said, if I can, you know, if Rome can fall, then all these global powers mm -hmm. are not safe. Basically. No, they're not safe. Yeah. Well, Father, we thank you so much that you always have not only the last word, but also the last laugh. And there's a reason that you mock your enemies. And so, Father, we decree and declare that the enemies of you, because this is not a battle against America. This is a battle against you. And this is a battle against your people. 
This is the same Antichrist spirit that's been rearing its ugly head all the way from Nimrod, the insolent rebellious, who do not believe you exist, or they believe you exist, but that you are their enemy because you are a holy God, and they want power. And so we thank you, Father, that their protection is being removed. We thank you that the monster must come full stage, and we thank you that you are preparing captains of your ships so that when the shaking occurs, when the great shaking occurs, the people of God will be able to man those ships to safe harbors. So, Father, we pray and decree that it ain't over for America. And I, I ask, Father, that the sound of your voice, the light, grow louder and louder and louder through your people. But also, I ask that you go into the homes of your people, into their dreams, into their living rooms, into their bedrooms, into their backyards, wherever they are. And you begin to awaken us to what it is we are called to do to bring this nation back to you. You cannot legislate morality. It's our job to raise up people that love you. And I pray and ask that that sound cut through all the noise, that it cuts through all of the soul excuses of why they can't do what they do. It's too overwhelming. It's not as bad as people are saying, blah, 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 blah. I pray, Father, that we no longer be ostriches that have our heads in the sand, but instead we're eagles that will take what we see happening and use it as an opportunity to go higher and higher to see where all the snakes are and take off their heads. So, Father, I pray that your sound continue to go through this nation, you continue to network your ecclesias, and that, Father, a big surprise will be coming for them, not them for us. I ask that you confuse the enemy. I pray that you confuse all of their plans, that you blow up everything that they think they're doing and they think they can do. And I pray that your response to global elitism be the sound of your voice through your people in this nation. And Father, we also ask that you help us overcome and overwhelm all the things in our soul that we see that skew our perception of ourselves and who you are for us. We do not want to complain and we do not want to be in unbelief. If you tell us something, we want to say, yes, sir. And so, Father, I ask that you continue, like uh, Kathy prayed, the chinks in the armor. Continue to show us where there might be any cracks in our foundation, any chinks in our armor, and anything in our hearts that would cause us to stumble. We want to give our tithes and offerings to you this morning, Father. We're excited about the direction you're taking and, and what we can do with the, the finances that you bring into this place. So we ask that you continue to unveil your plan for those, unveil how you would like us to distribute those in our community and to working believers, because that is our purpose. And I thank you that we are cutting expenses to be able to do that very thing. So we want you to receive them this morning. We give them to you as kings to king, and we ask that you take it as our sign of allegiance to you, not to the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Um,